looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are living in a, an era where people are figuring out, what is the meaning of my existence? What does it mean for me to be here? And what does it mean for me not to be here? Unfortunately, a lot of people live their life in a mode called drifting. However, the river flows, they will flow with it. They have no determination. They have no goal. They're not going upstream. They are just floating downstream. And that's what it means to be a drifter. A, a drifter is someone who is enticed by all kinds of shiny things in life. These things that are shiny, these things that are new, are you drawn to them? And you're sitting there and you see something pop on your screen and immediately you're focused, you're drawn to them. And then two hours, three hours later, you don't know where you are. See, the problem is not that you like these things. The problem is you don't have anything better to do. There's no goal in life. And so you keep drifting from one stop to another and in the end you end up downstream, not upstream. Is that how we want to live our life? Is that how life we determine what you will become? Are we drifting? I want to ask you to look with me in your own life, explore your own life, and figure out whether or not you're drifting. You're just going, bumping from one place to the next, and then in the end, you don't know where you are. You're lost. So the only thing that's been constant and has been fixed for all eternity is love. Looks upon tempest and is not shaken. Love. Love is the thing that, and when you hear the term, you know that it doesn't change. A life as a follower of Jesus Christ is marked not by what you do or what you understand, but it's marked by faith. And what does that mean? Faith is living your life in accordance to someone else's definition of what you should live. And that someone else, if it's not God, then you are in serious trouble because everyone dies except God. He's eternal. So faith, if you put your faith in everything else in your life, those things will die and go away. But if you put your faith in God, He is eternal and therefore your life will become eternal. Life is only meaningful if it has a purpose. What is your purpose? What do you wake up every day doing? Do you know how to define a purpose? It's not the purpose is not what you do. A purpose is where you're trying to get to. Do you have a purpose? And life is meaningful only when you have a purpose. The right purpose cannot be determined by you. Because today you wake up, you define a purpose. Tomorrow you don't feel like it. And then what? Your life's purpose has to be defined by someone who is greater than you. When you're a child, probably your parents is a good place to start. But when you're mature, you need to look to God. Your purpose is not determined by God and it determines by your whim, then you're in trouble. Think down the road, two years from now, the things that you are pursuing today, 1.7 billion, that is how much Fortnite made last year. How much do you think it's going to make this year? How much do you think it's going to make next year? How much time did you spend last year? to create that wealth for that company. What is your purpose 
What defines your purpose? Is your purpose going to be around? Is those things that you're pursuing going to be around? That's what you should be asking. When a Christian submits to God's purpose, then I can look back 2,000 years of archaeological data tells me that their lives had meaning. 2,000 years later, when they dug the place around surrounding London, they still found remnants of the cities that were burned when Britain rose up and fought against Romans. They still found the remnant. Their names are forever inscribed in our history because their lives had meaning. They fought for freedom. They didn't want to be slaves. They didn't want to be dragged into slavery and become someone else's slaves. But today, it's a different kind of slavery, isn't it? It's a kind of mental slavery. You are captivated by things that people invent today and gone tomorrow. And you go from one thing to the next. How many basketball games are you going to last yourself to? How many soccer games are you going to last yourself? You spend your time into that next year, there isn't something different. Do you have a goal? We live in a survival mode. Living in survival mode when you are not serving God. Look at the birds. Do they worry? Look at the trees. Do they worry? The Father takes care of them. The people who live by faith are not worried. God just takes care of them. And even if it doesn't go anywhere, they're still okay. They're still fine. Their lives is not defined by how well they serve themselves, but how well they serve God. How's your life defined? If you're in survival mode, then you worry about all kinds of stuff in your life. And in the end, at the end of the year, you look back, you got nothing. But that's not the worst part. The worst part is when you worry about your life, you're taken away from your service to God. In Ephesians 6.6, 6, he says, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Now, if you're worrying about your life, and you're sitting in this church today, and you're doing other things besides thinking about God and thinking about your life in relation to service to God, then you are here and you are only giving eye service to God. That's what the Apostle Paul says. You're only giving God's eye service because you're worrying about everything else that's going on in your life. And when you worry about everything else that's going on in your life right now, you don't have faith. You're not putting your faith in God that he will take care of you. Do you want to live your life that way? Or you want to live your life with your whole heart devoted to him? If you are sitting here right now and you're not 100% focused on studying the Word of God and you do other things, then this time of your service is junk. It's eye service. That's it. And it's abhorrent to God because we're not giving God our lives and our attention. Our mind, our focus is somewhere else. And if you cannot respect God in that way, you don't respect yourself and you don't respect anything if you can't respect God. The quality of our work is actually the focus, and we need to focus on God first, but because if you can't focus on God, then you can't focus on anything. And that determines this generation, because we can't focus. There's so many things that pops up on the screen. There's just a news today, I read India, use Twitter trending tag to manipulate a whole nation. Because that is the place that people are easily distracted. And when you are easily distracted, you are easily manipulated. 
Examine your life. Are you serving yourself or are you serving God? What are my routines? What am I doing compulsively? When I stand in line, what do I do? When I'm bored, what do I do? What's the first thing you reach for? What are the events in your life that will cause you to drop the church to attend to those things? Is it death? Someone died? Is it a critical school function? I have something at school today that I need to attend to. Yeah, I know, school are beginning to take over Sundays. Sundays are no longer sacred to anyone. And when you cater to the demands of the world, you are servant to the world. God can wait. God is eternal. He can wait forever. Is that how we think about God? Is my boss calling me on Sunday? My best friend's birthday. Got to go to that one. How about my kid's sick? How about I stayed up too late last night playing cards? Ask yourself those questions. You, know, you got to go back to the source to figure out your present predicament. The day before yesterday, I was, I was reminded that I was supposed to lead worship today in the, the latest service for that event. Yesterday, I wake up. The only thing in my mind was the practice. That's the only thing I need to do for that day. What, what are your plans? What is the most important thing to you? Now, if we have a lot of things in our lives that we focus on, in the end, we focus on nothing, and we accomplish nothing. We're in this race against time. You have a lot of things you need to do, but you don't have a lot of time. Proverbs 27, 20 says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of men are never satisfied. Once you start that race, you can never stop. It used to be that when the season's over, they get to rest a little bit, and then the season starts again. I'm talking about sport. Have you seen what, what happened lately? It seems like it never ends. Season ends, and then it starts, and then the whole thing starts again. And they can't stop because the other teams are starting earlier and earlier and earlier. And so once you get yourself into this rat race, you can't stop. Because the minutes you stop, people are going to stop on you. And you're afraid. What if I can't perform? What if I can't make it? So on the other extreme, from laziness to I can't stop. I keep, keep on having to run this race. Otherwise, I might lose out. There's no end to your pursuit. You're always going to run because you always get chased. And you know what? The ones that are chasing you is also being chased. In the end, everybody is chasing everyone else. You can't stop. And that ringing in your ear is the sound of the horse leech's daughter. Remember what they say? Give, give. Never fall, never end. Always want more. So you keep running, it keeps chasing you, and you can't stop until you collapse and you die. Whom you obey is your master. The forces that contend with your devotion are the sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. God says, are you tired? Are you weary? Come unto me. The invitation of Jesus Christ is still there. Now, if you find yourself, keep running. I got to keep on running. You can't hear. You got to stop because Jesus is calling us. You need to stop. If you're too busy, you're not living. You can't have a life when you keep on running. Where do you run to? Where are you trying to get to? What's the purpose of your life? 
So these things, we need to ask ourselves, what is it that you're trying to get to? Okay, you go to school. Once you finish school, and what next? Is there a greater purpose for your life? Jesus is saying, come unto me. I will give you rest. But you need to stop. You need to stop, and you need to look at him. Because we say that we believe in Jesus, but we never looked at him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. A meaningful life is a life that begins with Jesus as the source and the author and the person who controls what you do and what, how you behave and what you are thinking about. Jesus embodied the meaning of life. Without Christ, there is no life. The word incarnate in the body of our Lord Jesus demonstrates God's purpose. Look at Jesus. Look at his life. What did he do? How he lived his life. That is the life that you and I should live. Are we living that life? When we conform our lives to the shape of Lord Jesus, we are transposed from our existence today into his glory. There are three things I want to talk to you about. First of all, obedience to God sets you free. If you ever think about what you should do or how you should live your life, God says, you don't have to. Just obey me. Will you say, how? How do I obey God? should not neglect your spiritual self. You should pray, you should read the Bible, and you should not neglect assembling together in the body of Jesus Christ, meaning going to church. Are you doing those things? For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus' life defines his life is to do the will of God. Do we know what God's will is for us? If we don't, then we need to figure out what is God's will for your life? What is it that God wants you and I to do? For all of us, it means we need to study the Bible. We need to learn what it means to obey God. Jesus could have survived on his own. He could have done anything. Anything that he would have done would have been right and perfect. But Jesus didn't live his life that way. Now, if I ask you, if you can't have the mind of Christ and you are in his position, would it be okay for you to do your own will? You probably can do your own will, and it probably is the right thing. But the Bible says he came down, didn't do his own will, even though his will was perfect. He obeyed the Father. Why? Because he wants to set an example for you and I. This is how we human we're supposed to live. We should obey God. We should obey the Father. And you know what? It's hard. It's not easy. And that's why when he prayed, he said, it's not my will, but yours be done. If it is my will, can you take away this cup away from me? But then in the end, he said, it's not my will. What is your will? Your will is what you want to do. Your will is, we're trying to find the easiest answer to the most complex problem. We want to make everything convenient, don't we? Unfortunately, the church cater to people's conveniences. Don't go outside and get coffee. We can have coffee right here at church. It'll be convenient for you just to come to church and have coffee here. We cater to people's conveniences. It's not convenient for me to come to church and then just do this one thing and then go home. I need to come to church and then do a couple of things that it makes my life worthwhile, my time worthwhile. But if I just come to church to do this one thing, then you know what? It's not convenient. Can we reschedule? We need to learn to do the hard thing. And I, I think this year is a year that we should begin to think about, should I make my life easier or should I do the hard thing? 
Because going to the cross for Christ is the hard thing. It's not the convenient thing for him to do. It's like, oh, on my way to heaven, I'll just stop by the cross. But that's how we want to live our lives today, don't we? It's not convenient, so I can't do it. It has to be convenient, then I'll do it. If I don't have anything else today, then okay, I'll go. But if, you know, the time between church and then whatever else I need to go, if it fits in at 10 o'clock, then I come there. My event is at maybe 12 o'clock, and I hope that he stopped talking soon. Then I'll go to the 10 o'clock. But if my event is maybe at 9 o'clock and then church, I'll go to the one at 1 o'clock. Whatever is convenient for me. And as a society, I'm just not talking about the church. As a society, that's how we structure our lives. We want everything convenient and simple and easy. And I challenge that thought because that will not make you. You just cater to your lazy self. And if you look at Jesus Christ, he never reacts to situations. He acts and then everything else reacted to him. Don't take the easy route. It's easy to celebrate when things go your way. It is effortless to be happy when lovely things are done for you. When someone does something nice to you, it's easy for you to be happy. We love naturally when we are loved. That's how we think the world should be. Reactions are spontaneous and are the byproduct of someone else's action. So if someone else says something to you nice, you smile. If someone says something nasty to you, you get upset. Is that how we live our life? We're only reacting to what other people are doing to us. Or for some of us, the weather. The weather, we're reacting to everything. And if we can't react to anything, we turn on our phones and react to the phone. Your sentiments, whether joy or sadness, is directed by someone else's actions. Basing life on the sensory input is a bad way to live. And you should know what God's plan is for you. And you should live according to that. Because reacting to things, you never get anywhere. Jesus' life was determined from the beginning when he was born until he went to the cross. It was predetermined. He knew exactly what he needed to do. Pure joy is found in pain. Because there's no reason for you to be joyful when you're in pain. But if there's joy in pain, then that joy is real. So when he said, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of all faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You can't be happy when things are nice and they work the way that you want to. But when things are not nice and when things are not happy, are you still joyful? If you're not, then your joy is fake. Because it depends on the environment. It depends on someone else. But Jesus' joy here is found in pain and in suffering. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame at the cross. That should be our goal. To find joy and happiness in the hardest circumstances. That is true joy. Everything else, you're only reacting. And anyone else can manipulate how you react. Because they can just say some word, and it triggers you, whether happy or sad. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The Lord Jesus Christ, he did all of this to show you that in the most agonizing places, you can still find joy because that is the will of God. If you can find joy in that, then nothing else can rip it away from you. You can be in the darkest place and you'll be shining like diamond. That is what the Lord Jesus Christ, looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, will bring to you. 
Look unto me in Isaiah 45, 22. And be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Life can only be found when you look at Jesus Christ. If you don't look at him, you will never find joy. You will never find life. You never find happiness. We look at things that capture our attention. Whenever we see things that are beautiful or interesting, what do you do? We stare at them. When you see someone who is interesting looking, you can't help but look at the person. Whether that interesting is beauty or that interesting is uniqueness. Anything. You can't help. Even though you know staring is not polite, but if they're not looking, you're like staring at them because they're interesting. So we look at things when they are, those things catch our attention. When we lost interest in someone, we stop looking at them, don't we? Look at the couples. You can tell whether or not they're still interested in each other. They stop looking at each other, you know they have no more interest in each other. We avoid the person to not accidentally look at them. I think some of us avoid looking at Jesus. We lost interest in him. We'd rather look at someone else than we look at Jesus. We need to look at Christ through the lens of love because when you love someone, you look at them. If you don't love someone, you can't look at them. What is your relationship with Jesus? Are you setting your gaze on Christ? You can't look at him if you have no interest in him. If you love him, then you will find him and you want to look at him. But you know what? Jesus is not like anyone else in this life. Anything else that you have been accustomed to because our society prized those who look nice and beautiful. His visage was so marred more than any man. His form more than the sons of men, meaning he's not beautiful. He's actually ugly to look on. Isaiah 52, 14. But you know, have you seen those people who are to you ugly? Like a deformed child? Look how the mother look at the child and you will see. It's not beauty. Love is, transcends beauty. Looks beyond the appearance. If you love someone, it doesn't matter how they look on the outside. And that's true love, just like true joy, is when you can see beyond the beauty, because if we only look at beauty, I got bad news for you. We're all going to be very ugly. Time is an ugly fire. It makes everybody ugly. And if that's what you depend on as the criterion for love, then we are in trouble. We need to have love beyond what we can see. The visage of a stranger through attractive, you can find fault. Think about the people that you are in competition with. That beautiful ballerina, the dancer. It doesn't matter how beautiful that person is. You go into the ballet, you look at someone, and they look exquisite. And then you tell your friend, wow, that ballerina looks awesome. And your friend say, what? She's ugly. You see her dance? That, that's we are subjected to our own thinking. Wow, that, that guy is handsome. And then your friend said, he just dumped me. That ugly looking boy. 
you don't have to make yourself. You automatically see that person as hideous. It's your affection ultimately determines how the person looks. It's how you feel. If Jesus Christ is not beautiful to look upon, then you need love to look upon him. It's not his beauty that will attract you. It is love, his love that will attract you. When they did spit on his face and buffeted him and others smote him with the palm of their hands, Matthew 26, 67. Our relationship with a person determines whether or not we look at him or turn our eyes away. It's not because we have to love this person. It's because we love Jesus Christ. And when you love him, you look at him regardless, regardless of how you look like, because you know that he looks at you when you were ugly in your sins and he loved you and he took you out of the miry clay and he held you and he washed you and he put you into a position of God's children. How do you look at Christ? We have love for Christ, then we can look at him. I can't tell you how to look at Christ. Just like I can't tell you, hey, Charles, turn over to Angie and give her one of those gays, those lovely look. Can't. Just doesn't work. It has to come naturally. Otherwise, it doesn't work. I can't tell you to look at Jesus. I don't know how. I can't tell you to tell yourself to look at Jesus. You don't know how. You need to love him before you can gaze at him. Thou art beautiful, my love. Turn away thine eyes from me, for they have overcome me. You see, I know there's a place that I can go to. And in that place, he is gazing at me. Jesus is gazing at me. I know that place. Do you know that place? Do you have that place that you go to? When you are there, you know that he is looking at you. I'm not talking about a physical place. I'm talking about a mental place. I'm talking about a spiritual place. I'm talking about a place where you have reserved for yourself in Christ alone. Is there such a place in your life? If not, you cannot see Jesus. You need to have that closet. You need to have that place where you go in there and everything else, stop. Everything else is turned off. Everything else is shut out. And only you and him is in that place. And in that place, you can see him. Do you have that place? That is the place I can tell you about. And you can make that place. You can create that place for you and him. But I can't tell you how to look at him. Because when you are in the place that you have reserved for Jesus Christ, he will look at you. And like the person in the song, turn your eyes from me. Turn your eye from me because when you look at me, I know I'm loved. You know, at the cross, his disciples and everyone else turned away from him. But he looked at them and he says, Son, this is your mother. His gaze on his disciples gave them love for each other. We need to have that place. For me, usually it's with the guitar. Everything else is off. And in that place, just me, my love. Peter knew he would betray Jesus. He believed in himself so much that when Jesus says that you will betray me, he didn't believe him. 
if we only believe Jesus' words, not how you feel, but what he said, then nothing will be a surprise to you. He was surprised because he believed in himself, his ability not to betray Jesus. But when Jesus says, you will betray me, only if he believed that. We're all weak. And we're not going to be able to come to Jesus on our own. But it's okay, because he's the one, the author of faith, not us. He's the one who says, Peter, you will betray me. That's the way it's set in stone. But don't be discouraged. That's the way that things have to happen. You must believe that. You must believe that things don't always turn out the way you want them to turn out. You must believe that it's okay to trust in Jesus and fail. But then he says, it's okay. I allow Satan to shift him so that he can be strengthened. Everything that God does has a purpose. And sometimes you can't see why I have to fail. You can't see why things have to go wrong. But it's okay. He is the author. He made it that way. He wrote your story. Would you read a story where there are no conflict? You don't go to a movie to watch a movie when there is no villain. And nowadays, you don't even go watch a movie where there are villains. You like the movie where you can't tell who the villain is. And you even like the movie where the protagonist is the villain. And you know what? That's our stories. That's Peter's story. He is the villain. Jesus wrote that story. said, you will deny me three times. He just didn't believe it. But it's a beautiful story because it's a story of redemption. Because in the end, God said to, not to Peter, because he was so dismayed, was so agonized over his betrayal of Jesus, he told John, go tell Peter. Go tell Peter, it's okay. Not only I'm the author, but I'm the finisher of his faith. I'll make this story end well. Jesus is also the finisher of your life story. It's okay. Everything else that happens in between, it's exciting. It's worth watching. It's okay that I fail. It's okay that I stumble. It's okay that I fall. Jesus authored it. Such a peaceful thing to know that everything happens in our lives. Jesus is the author and the finisher of everything that happened. Are you in conflict with your friend? It's okay. Jesus authored it. There is something, there's a purpose of God in it. Look to Jesus and you will find. Is there conflict in your family? It's okay. Jesus authored it. Do you have a sickness? It's okay. Jesus authored it. And he will finish it. And when he finishes it, it is a beautiful story. It is an exciting story. It's the story that you would want to live that life. It's not this bland life where you're just drifting away and in the end, you don't know where you are. You don't know what happened. It's not, that's, that's not a story that God is writing. God is writing an exciting story in your life. For what purpose? To build your character. You cannot grow unless you fall, you fail, and then you get up again and you know God is faithful. Jesus didn't have to die on the cross, but he had to die on the cross because without death, there is no resurrection. So for you and I, we stumble and we fall so that we can get up again. That is the story. That is the novel that God's writing, and he will finish it. Trust in him. Believe in him. Have faith in his word. Look at him. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you 
that we don't have a God who is unconcerned about us. But even in the darkest places, in the valley of that darkness, you are there. You are right beside every one of us. And you want us to experience your presence, not when things are going well, but your presence in the darkest and toughest and most dreadful places that we find ourselves. We have a God who loves us beyond anyone else in this life and even ourselves. Even when we cast ourselves aside and said, we are worth it, I am worthless, you can still say, you are valuable to me. God allowed us and helped us to look at you and gaze at you. At times, Lord God, we are ashamed because once we look at you in awe of our filth, unworthiness, you gaze at, at us with love and compassion and forgiveness. Help us, Lord God, to find that place where we run to, that place where we know that the world is dead and you are alive, that place when we can find you, that we can look upon you, Jesus, and know that everything happens in our life. You are the author and you are the finisher. You complete our lives and our narrative is written by you and it is a beautiful narrative. It is a, a life worth living, every second of it, even in pain and in suffering. You are there. We thank you, Lord, for the hope and for the faith that you have given to us that we can know that is nowhere in this life or beyond this life. Those who trust in you cannot find you. You are everywhere if we only look for you. Help us, Lord, to live our life not in abandonment or let it drift away, slide away in some oblivion, but help us to walk, to run, to crawl back to the place where we know that we can see you and gaze at you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.